Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Queen's Community HealthCast. My name is Deborah Radall, and I am here today, as usual, with my co-conspirator, Elizabeth Bailey. Deborah, it's a beautiful fall day, and I'm just glad to be moving through wellness fun season. Yeah, it's a busy time, wellness funds, but we are not talking about wellness funds today. We're talking about one part of a really big topic. So let's just get right to it. Our special guest today is Shannon Vincent, and Shannon is a social worker working with Schools Plus as a facilitator and parent navigator in Queens County Schools. Now, Schools Plus is a collaborative interagency. They take that kind of approach and they support parents and the entire child. So welcome, Shannon, and you are going to have to explain what all of those words mean to me. Sure. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. So Schools Plus, I guess the vision and the model, the collaborative interagency approach that you talked about there, what it really boils down to is making the schools the center of service delivery. So we live in very rural parts of Nova Scotia, and not everyone lives close to services. And sometimes those services have to travel outside of Queen's County to actually offer their services to the families that we work with. So the vision is that we bring these services into the school to make that a meeting place where folks can get access to the things that they need. That was a lot easier before COVID. We've been challenged a bit with who's allowed in and out of the schools. That's a bit better this year. But we get creative around that and we find spaces in the community when the school is not an option. That's fantastic to hear that, you know, like all of us, Shannon, you and your uh, colleagues are also needing to pivot in the best interest of these students and kids that you're working with. And I think that we can all appreciate that that can be challenging. Yes, we need to be very adept at that skill. I would say virtual meetings have become part of the norm of the work that we do. So I would say that's a benefit that's come out of COVID. I think Zoom is the platform that we tend to use in education, Zoom Health, which is Mm -hmm. a confidential platform. I think it's resulted in people being able to be more available and have more flexibility in their schedules to be available. So maybe you can expand a little bit for us, Shannon, please, on what exactly your role is. Like, what do you do? (laughs) Okay, so I supervise two outreach staff. It used to be four, but our team has grown exponentially this last year, I think, because the province has recognized the need that students and families have. The outreach workers, we have two. uh, One's Tim Mossman. He works in North Queens, Greenfield Elementary, and also the Wickwire. And then we have Sally Tanner, who's well known in the community. And she works at Liverpool Regional High, South Queens, and now Liverpool Alt School, which we just newly have infused back into the community. My role would be different than theirs in that I would oversee their caseloads. My job is really to take on the more complex work of the families that we work with by holding case conferences, liaising with various community partners, and creating a wraparound approach to ensure that there's no gaps in service, but also that there's no duplications in service. What specific needs are you addressing? I would say the big ones and 
the last couple of years for sure have been food security. Uh, I think that's probably has been top of the list. But this year, it really is housing and mental health. And those two are very connected. When people aren't housed, they are not well. And what we're really talking about here are issues directly related to child poverty. Is that right? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about how child poverty and housing issues have impacted your work? In the past five years that I've had this job, I can't say there's, you know, not that we can solve every issue within Schools Plus, but we have enough partnerships that when we reach out to folks, we can generally have needs met in the majority of the cases. This year, I feel at a loss to help with housing issues. I And I'm pretty upfront about that with families when I'm working with them. Even when housing is not the presenting issue with families that are being referred to us, it's the first question that I ask people now because of the housing crisis in Nova Scotia. So I'll ask a family, how secure is your housing? And more often than not, that lends itself to a conversation where I learn that their housing is not secure at all. So a lot of families that we work with are renting very seldom. People own their homes. And what's happening all over the place is tenants are being advised by the homeowners that the houses are being listed and there's nowhere else for families to live. So the occupancy rate in Queens County is 0%. It was that way even before COVID. And now there are just no options for family. And I'm really at a loss often to tell them what to do. I tell them to scour Kijiji. I get them connected to the housing support program that Family Services of Western Nova Scotia has. But without the option of having affordable housing, those organizations are strapped too in that they can't offer a lot of options. So there seems to be a gap in knowledge somewhere. There's not the response to housing that I feel like there needs to be from the province and private developers. And the cost of apartments are on the rise. Um, And so now that's not affordable for a lot of families. So income assistance rates have not kept up with the cost of living. And the amounts that the rents have spiked. I had a mom call me on the day of reconciliation and I I had to answer the phone because, you know, it seldom rings for crisis calls on the weekends. And Single mom, three kids with a newborn and same kind of situation was told she has to vacate the property by a certain time. And she's looked at Kijiji ads and can't find anything affordable. If she puts an offer in for an apartment, sometimes people are outbidding her. And she also feels like she's not being rented to because she has children. So it's a real problem. There isn't really a whole lot of protection for folks who have vulnerabilities, whether that be mental health issues or addictions, or they have children or they have pets. Basically, at this point, it really is the landlord's choice, seemingly, as to who they want to rent to. And there's that many people looking for housing that they really have their pick, which doesn't leave any options for the folks who are hard to house. What are the effects on the children that you see from having these insecure housing situations, Shannon? What I'm seeing in the schools this year is a rise in mental health issues of students. And the families that we work with, I know there are mental health struggles with some parents too. So I think in general, if a family is not able to cope well because they're not able to meet their basic needs, then that is going to trickle down to the children and we're going to see that in school. 
So how that presents itself in school is, you know, with the young kids, maybe having a lot of child behavioral issues, not being attentive to learn in the classroom, any number of things, anxiety, lack of sleep, uh, they're really absorbing the stress of what's going on with the family. And so that's impacting everybody in the school system because teachers and support staff like ourselves are just struggling to meet the basic needs of families so that they can attend to learning and uh, thrive as children. So what I'm doing right now with regards to housing is that when a family comes to me with that issue, almost immediately I'm telling them to speak to their MLA about the issue because I really feel like that is where their voice needs to be elevated to. It really does need to be right in front of the political leaders of our province to discuss and figure out a strategy as to how they're going to meet the needs of families. So just between community partners, sort of put it out there to say we need to do some proactive planning. We have families who are living in cars, RVs, buses, tents. The cold season is coming and we really need to start talking about something like an in from the cold shelter. I think I'd like to spend a little time and talk about that because I think the perception in our community is that we do not have homeless people here. Yeah, it's an invisible issue. We don't live in a metropolitan area where everyone's clustered and everyone's having to step over each other. In a rural community, poverty is hidden a lot of the time. So how can Schools Plus or how does Schools Plus help with some of those issues? We try to make families aware of services that are available. We certainly don't have a magic wand, but we try to take the sting out a little bit if we can. So if it's accessing emergency food, trying to get them linked up to the food bank, we try to do that. We partner a lot with United Way, did a lot of that over COVID and we're able to access numerous grants. So last year was actually pretty good to get funding to families, but a lot of that has dried up a bit now. Again, but in terms of long-term help, it's really difficult. And it's even difficult sometimes to get families to access the food bank. We have families that are experiencing food insecurity now who never have before. There is a lot of stigma around using the food bank, I've learned, in trying to suggest that to families. There are some families where we offer that and and the answer is no, like I, I won't be doing that. Or we'll have, you know, one family member who might access support in secret, but they don't want their partner to know because they feel like they would get some ridicule or judgment around that. So there's some real shame. And what's interesting right now is that another thing that's going on in the community is a lot of employers can't find people to employ. And so I feel like that's another multi-layered issue, but it is connected a bit to housing as well. So when you don't have housing nearby where you could potentially work, you're losing out on potential employees for your business. So a lot of families right now who might have been able to maintain a car or keep gas in the car can't do that. And in rural Nova Scotia, we don't really have an extensive transportation system. You know, we have Queens County Transit, which is lovely, but they only have so much capacity. And so COVID has really taken over a lot of their capacity with getting people vaccinated and to appointments and different things. So they certainly can't be relied upon, get someone back and forth to work every day. As a community, we really need to think about how are we going to create housing so that we have a flourishing community where people can work without having to be at a distance from that work and be close to all amenities. What a privilege to be able to 
walk to work or go to the grocery store, not have to drive somewhere. It's too bad that that is a privilege. What do you think is, uh, what's going to happen? Well, I think if community doesn't take a look at what's happening, then potentially what you might see is aspects of community dying, right? So services not being able to flourish and leaving the community because they can't employ people because those people can't find housing or they can't meet their basic needs to live in that community. So it really is going to take a community approach to solve these kinds of issues. So for people who are listening, what can regular people do to help? I think they can try to get informed about the issues that are going on across the province. I mean, this is just not Queens County. This is across the province of Nova Scotia, Queens County in particular, because there are already very high rates of poverty. I think it's one in three children are in Mm -hmm. poverty in Queens County. So you add COVID and the housing boom for some on top of that, and it's really created a crisis. And then I think talk to their MLAs and community members to see what kind of role they can play in helping with having a healthy community. What options or systemic changes would you like to see to benefit these impacted families? I would love to see more housing (laughs) that's affordable for people to live in. And actually, I'd like to see some rent to own options made available for families because I just feel like this year has been evidence that renting is a really insecure option for people across the province. Shannon, before you go, if you got to wave a magic wand and three things would happen, what would those three things be? For Queens County in particular, I would love to see something that Yarmouth has, which is a shift youth shelter because the youth shelter in Yarmouth is often full. And the only other option is Phoenix House in Halifax. In Halifax, yeah. I would love to see a zero wait for families to get into affordable housing. Why is there a two-year wait list for low-income housing? If there's that much of a need, in my mind, that that need needs to be met. And then, like I said, I really feel like there needs to be some rent-to-own options, whether that be land share, tiny homes built somewhere or something that's manageable and affordable for a family to own within their lifetime. Those are three fantastic wishes to have. And I want to thank you so much, Shannon, for giving of your time. Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was wonderful talking with you. And for those of you listening who are interested in learning more about affordable housing in Queens County, We recommend that you listen to some of our other podcast episodes on the topic, including last week's episode with Mayor Norman about what the Region of Queens Municipality is doing around affordable housing. They're very concerned about this issue and working hard to try and make a better situation for their residents. And last year, we had a great interview with Lisa Ryan, and I'll put a link to that episode in our show notes.